Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Scripture consistently makes it clear that it's essential for parents to work hard to leave an inheritance to their children. But it's not something on which our culture seems to place a high value. There are some important questions to tackle here, including the meaning of inheritance, why it's an important duty, and how parents can plan strategically to fulfill this duty. Tanner Cartwright is my guest on this episode to tackle this conversation. Tanner is a pastor of a Reformed Baptist church in Shelbyville, Kentucky, has several children and a few business projects he's working on with the goal of leaving them to his children eventually. He's thought through this topic thoroughly and offered a really helpful perspective in this conversation. I'm your host, Landon Buto, and this podcast is provided by Cleveland Street Mortgage in pursuit of our mission of helping people to cultivate wealth and property in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please enjoy this week's conversation, and remember that if you're interested in getting a mortgage with our team at CSM, or if you know someone who will be getting a mortgage soon, connect with us at clevelandstreet.com. All right, Tanner. Well, thanks for joining me this evening. Looking forward to uh, talking with you. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, we are tackling the topic of leaving an inheritance to your children. Um, it's something that is kind of jokingly discussed even right now. You know, you see um, you see the, the satirical bumper stickers talking about spending their children's inheritance. And it's just yeah. kind of, uh, it's not something that's really taken seriously even in um, Christian cultures. It's almost seen a lot of times as um, hurting your children by spoiling them, by leaving them too much, and you want them to find their way on their own or something like that. But then we see very clear uh, areas in Scripture where this topic is addressed. So I just want to start out with uh, with with Scripture, um, with where is this topic addressed and how are we supposed to understand those passages? Yeah, yes, sir. So the the idea of inheritance is is literally all over Scripture. First of all, is what I want to start with, and and I, as I was as I was researching this and thinking through this and thinking through scriptures, I, I could literally probably share a hundred scriptures that apply mm-hmm. to whether, whether they actually have the word inheritance or whether, you know, scriptures talking about heirs um, and, and that size, that sort of thing. But just a few to, to kick us off and, and, and get us thinking about it. Psalms two says that ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of earth, the ends of the earth, your possession. And so we have here, God the Father giving God the Son an inheritance, and so we um, we see the the idea of Father and Son and inheritance even within the Godhead. And in Romans eight seventeen it says that if children, speaking of us, speaking of the church, that if we're children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may be also glorified with Him. And so we see here that we, being adopted as children, brothers, as the scripture says, with Christ, that we are, that we share in that inheritance that God the Father gives to God the Son. Uh, Colossians 1.12 says that, uh, it says, and giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we receive an inheritance from our heavenly Father. And so the idea of inheritance in Scripture, you really, you can't get away from it. It is, um, it's everywhere. It's kind of like patriarchy. It's on every page of the Bible, as it were, just the idea that 
um, God the Father is redeeming a people whom he is giving to his son as an inheritance, and we get to share in that. So that's kind of the idea of the just a, a 30,000 foot view of, of yeah. inheritance uh, from the scripture. Uh, now, physical inheritance, so is also all over scripture. Mm. Um, and we could obviously spend hours just talking about the the kings of the Old Testament, the patriarchs of the Old Testament and the inheritance that they left to their children and how they viewed it and so on and so forth. But a few passages that I thought we needed to hit would Proverbs 13, 22 is, is obviously a big one. It says a good man. Uh, leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So we see the that this inheritance uh, is speaking of wealth. So it's actually speaking of tangible wealth because it actually goes on to say that the sinner's wealth, hmm. like what the sinner stores up, that that goes to the righteous. So this is speaking of tangible, physical yeah. wealth. And that good man, it could be translated righteous man. And so the righteous man is one who leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And this is a physical inheritance left to physical children is what this is speaking of clearly. So Proverbs 19, 14 says that house and wealth are, in, are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from Yahweh or from the Lord. And so obviously the point of this passage is speaking of the, you know, the gift that God gives to men by giving them a good wife. But it points out, first of all, that it's it is intrinsically known. It's inherently true that houses and wealth are inherited from fathers. It shows that it's a gift. It's like, now we know this houses and wealth are from fathers, but a good wife's from the Lord. And so by contrast of that overarching truth, it show it's showing it's making the point about wives. And so the scriptures recognize that fathers owe an inheritance to their children. Yes, it's assumed. It's yes, it's assumed that they owe it to them. Not not just that it's a good thing to do mm. to leave an inheritance to your children, but it is actually assumed that you owe it to your children. Mm. So um and just for anyone out there that just look up the word inheritance in the scriptures and you will you you can spend hours and hours and hours studying just um, all the passages that speak about inheritance, both in the New and the Old Testament. Um, so, yeah, it's an inescapable reality. Fathers owe an inheritance to their children. And I think yeah. that is the inescapable biblical uh, truth. Yeah. So it's not exclusively uh, it, it's not exclusively a material thing, but it, it definitely includes that. And this is something yeah. we've discussed on the show before, but it's just helpful to start. Um, you know, it's kind of inescapable. We have to start with a, um, a biblical definition of of wealth and a biblical view of wealth. Then, um, you know, we're obviously. We, we've talked about it on the show before that there's kind of a within the evangelical circles um, right now, there's kind of a view of wealth where um, if you really think about it, if you're a Christian and you really think about it, you probably should avoid wealth. It, it's it's a temptation. It's it's a sinful thing to build it up. 
Um, what what do we need to know about a biblical view of wealth going into this discussion of inheritance? Yeah, uh, Landon. So the first passage that comes to mind, obviously, would be there in Matthew 6. So Matthew 6, 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven or excuse me, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so that is where, you know, someone from that that's coming at it from that perspective, that's going to be their go to verse. That's going to be the right. first one. That's a, And so and it seems pretty clear. It says don't do it. Right. So when we look at this, what is that? What does it mean? What's Christ talking about here? What's the context? And the first thing we need to recognize is the word that's translated to lay up treasures for yourselves. It literally means to amass or to heap up. Hmm. It means to make a pile. Hmm. And it has in it the idea that you're storing up treasure for the sake of the treasure. So you're piling something up because hmm. that's the point. And so right. instead of the idea of making wealth, because in the same way that a craftsman amasses tools that he needs, um, he doesn't, you, you know, the, uh, the, the, the man that fills his garage with tools that he never uses that he just wants just for the sake of having, um, mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the idea that we are, uh, you know, the, the man that Christ told the parable about that he said, I've got so much stuff. I'm just going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And so that I can just make bigger piles of my stuff. Right. And Christ calls that man's man a fool because tonight he says your your spirit, your soul will be required of you. You're a fool. And so the but the point is there that's being the, the point that's being made is that in that instance, wealth is the point. Like wealth is the goal. Wealth is the the end goal, as it were. Yeah, like mm -hmm. amassing it up and piling it up. And so uh, another another one right there in the same chapter, five couple verses down, it would be six Matthew six twenty four says, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money." So it seems obvious to me that Christ here is talking about serving right. money in the point that like wealth is the the point. Like right. the old, uh, yeah. like the old millionaire said one day, "What good is health? You can't buy money with it." Hmm. You know, and so the the point that he is making is that you know all I care about is amassing more money. You know, that's yeah. all that matters is getting more and more and more. And that's what Christ is pointing out here is that you cannot serve God and money. If money is your god, like that's all you care about is amassing wealth. Like that is. Not the means to an end, but the end in and of mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. Then that's when you know that there, that there's a problem. That that's when you're piling it up, you're making it an idol. Whereas I think the modern view is that uh, we we read the passage um, in Timothy that says, "For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil," mm -hmm. as money is the root of all kinds mm -hmm. of evil. And and so and I think the scriptures are very clear that it is the serving of of the of wealth or the love of wealth that's the root of all kinds of evil not the not the wealth itself wealth is nothing more than a tool yeah 
And it especially gets tricky when you start realizing that when you start defining wealth and, and start defining who's rich in terms of like, you know, not just thinking about the uber wealthy in American circles, but we are all, yeah. you know, everyone listening to this podcast is wealthy in terms of historically speaking and, you know, has riches amassed. Um, yes. In, in Even currently. Sense. Currently, if you have no debt and $10 in your pocket, you're in the one percentile in the world. Wow. Yeah. So in America. So, yeah. dude, I mean, we're, we're doing we're doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. So, 100%. Yeah, exactly. I think that's helpful. Yeah. So I won't belabor that point because it is something we've talked about, um, but it's just helpful to start with. Um, but the, the other key piece that we have to kind of have a have a positive view of if we're thinking of inheritance is uh is long-term thinking on earth you know a lot of christians are very familiar with the the pilgrim's mindset um which is obviously um biblical and a a wonderful thing um but thinking purely sometimes in terms of this life does not matter what happens on this earth does not matter um and think long-term in in the sense of eternity and that's all that matters um what you know beyond this earth um, but thinking in terms of inheritance kind of requires a longer term view on earth. Um, is that a way that Christians, uh, how, how should Christians be thinking about the future on earth? Um, if we don't know the future, um, how much does it matter? Uh, can we make an impact here? What is our, our thinking long term on earth look like? Yeah. So I, I think that long term thinking has been the norm throughout scripture, throughout church history. Hmm. So you think of Deuteronomy 4, 9 says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your Hmm. children's children. So we should care about our grandchildren and our great grandchildren and the legacy that's what we're teaching and what is being taught even by our children and our grandchildren. You never get this view in scripture of, you know, well, I've raised my kids and now I'm checking out. I'm, I'm done. I've got it. I'm done. You know, this is ties back to our earlier point, but that we have a responsibility to not just our children, but mm. our heritage we have a responsibility we have a responsibility to the children the 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 great great grandchildren that we'll never meet mm-hmm. we'll never know yeah and some of them will not know my name but i have a responsibility right. to them and so that's the picture you get in the old testament so another one would be psalms 102:18 it says let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise yahweh so we see the psalmist. We see the psalmist thinking long term. He's thinking about people that will not even be. They're not even created yet. Let it be recorded for them. And so we see this long term thinking. We see it also in Psalm seventy eight six, <clears throat> says that the next generation may know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So we see this future thinking, thinking about these multiple generations that that are not born yet. Deuteronomy 7, 9 uh, says, know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Mm -hmm. And so God 
thinks multi-generational. When God makes promises, he makes them in, in a multi-generational way. Right. So he's pointing out that I'm going to bless you and not just you, but I'm going to bless your children and their children and their children, and their children to the thousand generation. And so we see God making promises and thinking multi-generationally. And I think it's inherent in the scripture. And even, you know, and someone could say, well, all those are from the Old Testament. And just uh, think about this from the New Testament, from the, the Great Commission. When Christ said in Matthew 28, 19, you know, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This command requires multi-generational thinking because this could not be done in a lifetime or even 10 lifetimes. This is a massive task that Christ has given to his church and to the disciples. And we see Paul, and I don't have the verses uh, down here, but we see Paul in 2 Timothy um, telling, telling, telling Timothy, his son in the faith, hold fast to the, to the trustworthy word, the gospel that we've given you and pass it on to faithful men. And this idea of I, Paul, have given you the gospel and I want you to give it to others and this idea of it continuing. Paul's about yeah. to die. Second Timothy's his last epistle that he writes. He's mm -hmm. about to die. And he is thinking about the future. I've discipled Timothy. He's my son in the faith. Now I need Timothy to do to others what I did to Timothy so that this gospel continues being taught and preached throughout the mm -hmm. whole world. So we see the necessity of Christians to think long term. So why, why then, because uh, a little bit practically, I could see Christians thinking, you know, at the point where, okay, I'm thinking long term, you know, I, I'm coming near the end of my life, I want to do something positive with uh, the wealth that I have, with the money that I have. Um, my children are okay, they've got jobs, they've got savings, uh, my grown children, um, I'd rather leave this to, to charities, it could do more good there. Um, and you know, my children are fine. Why, why the responsibility to your family, your children specifically there? As far as, yeah, leading an inheritance and you say, so the modern idea in the church would be, you know, we, we give tons of money to ministries. We give tons of money to overseas missions. We, you know, we, um, all of these things, and there's less emphasis on building generational wealth or that kind of idea. That that's what you're asking. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we see in we see in well in, in lots of places, but First Timothy, First um, um, Timothy five, we see him where Paul gives the the um, the command there that anyone who does not provide for his own household. It, it, or his relatives, he says. In fact, hold on, I've got it. Let me just read it here. He says, okay, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. That's 1 Timothy 5.8. So we see here Paul being really, using really intense language, really harsh language here. And, and in this passage, the context, he's talking about the provision for widows and who do we, mm -hmm. who do we, Put into the church as a widow who do we put on the role as a widow and so he's saying if someone doesn't provide for his relatives 
and especially for his own household. And he's denied the faith mm-hmm. and is worse than an unbeliever. So Paul makes this a gospel issue, providing for your own household. Now, the word providing in the Greek that's translated providing there, it means literally to be forward looking. Hmm. It literally means to look ahead, like to plan ahead for your family, the way you would think of a father sitting down and writing a budget or a business plan or what have you. Hmm. This is the idea. Someone who does not look ahead. So you think of the Proverbs that say, you know, the wise man looks ahead and avoids danger, but the wicked or the fool goes goes on and is harmed, you know, is punished. This is the idea. The righteous man, the the godly man who is responsible for his family. He he is he is making a plan. He is forward thinking. He is looking to the future for the sake of his family. And obviously, I think in in the context here with Paul, you know, I don't know that Paul had building, you know, multi-generational businesses and large businesses in mind. But the principle remains that we have the first responsibility is to our family and extended family. That's who we have the most responsibility for, because if I do not provide for someone, even a believer uh, in uh, in Nigeria, I've not denied the faith. If I don't provide for my children, I've denied the faith. So there is this literally when you when when the Apostle Paul raises this to a gospel issue, he is showing that we have the greatest responsibility to those who are directly under our care, those that God has directly given us stewardship over. So we've all heard it said, I love I love all women, but I don't love all women like I love my wife. And with the same would be said for children and, and whatnot. Yeah. And I love I love my church family, but I don't I don't love them the way I love my children. And that's on purpose. God designed it that way right. because we have the greatest responsibility for those closest to us. I don't know right. if that answers your question exactly. But. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that's helpful. And, and so in terms of so we have that responsibility, we have that forward looking responsibility here on Earth and specifically to our children. Um, to leave an inheritance. So then what all is involved in that inheritance? You know, we touched on um, the role of money in that, the role of real tangible things in that. Um, Is that the only piece of the inheritance? What's all involved in that duty that we're given in scripture? Yeah. So even those first, first verses that we, that we read speaking about inheritance, you know, the, um, a father has a responsibility and specifically a father, because, you know, the uh, every command in Scripture that uh, is in regards to children is given to fathers, not parents, not mothers. You will not find a com- one single command in Scripture in regards to raising children given to a woman. Anywhere. So the Scripture lays the responsibility mm-hmm. for raising children and training children and discipling children squarely on the father's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And so. But the, 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 the idea, even there in, in Deuteronomy 6, when we have the, um, you know, where, you know, in, when you rise up, when you go to bed, when you go in, when you go out, when you when you come in, you know, we, it, it, it's on your forehead, it's on your right. hand, it's everywhere. And so this idea of teaching your children constantly the things of the Lord and discipling them, well, 
what what does um, you know what is what does Paul say? You know, Father in Ephesians, do not provoke your children to ra- to anger, but raise them up in the nurture and the admonition. Proverbs says that a um, uh, that train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So we have this constant biblical theme of fathers teaching sons. Um, to be God-honoring men. And if you want to boil it down, we're commanded, the, the, you know, what, what does the Westminster say? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our goal with our children is to teach them to glorify God and how mm-hmm. to enjoy him forever. And so the gospel obviously is, is the essential part of that, that our yeah, children absolutely. must be believers, that our children mm-hmm. must put their faith and trust in Christ, that our children must fear God, that our children must recognize and be convicted of their sin. You know, these are the things that we disciple our children in constantly. And and, and but, but even more than that, giving our children this the vision of um, multigenerationalism, because, you know, mm, yeah, I, I, you never you don't see that. You know, it's I, I try to I talk to my kids about things to make them think about these things. Like we we spent one whole evening deciding what my grandfather name would be. Hmm. You know, it's like I got my oldest yeah. is nine years old. I'm 32. Yeah. You know, I'm a little ways from there. But, um, you know, I've told them that I want a minimum of 50 grandchildren. And I was like, you guys do the math on what you're going to have to do to pull that off. But I, I want I want about 50 grandkids. Um, I got goals, man, you know. Yeah, um, I love it. But the uh, but helping them think like that and helping them right. think through, um, you know, how do we glorify God um, as a as the Cartwright family? How do yeah. we as Cartwrights glorify God? And then, frankly, and I, you know, when I think of my children, you know, I've got two boys and four girls. And when I think of, you know, th- you know, in where they're going to be in 20, 30, 40 years. I want as a father to give them the wealth, the resources so that they can so that they can have more influence than I can have. If that makes sense, I want them yeah, to be yeah. set up in a, in, in a way that they don't have to go into debt hmm. where they have um, the ability to make money and to spend it wisely and to use it for the glory of God and to build the kingdom of God and to spread the gospel um, it more effectively. And mm-hmm. so you just in a, in, a, in a large picture view of this would be think about how God has blessed America financially and the ability that God has given America to spread the gospel literally over the whole globe. And I mean, you just think about how many Bibles the Gideons have. Sent all over the world yeah. just because we're wealthy, right? I mean, God has given us the yeah. wealth, and so the use of that wealth in a God honoring way. Yeah. So, and so you're not you're you're not. I think some of the concern is, and the thought process is, no, I don't want to leave my um, my wealth to my kids to like. I'm not helping them by just giving them this money to spend. This, you're not thinking in terms of just give them this thing you're thinking how can i equip them to do the same thing for the future for their yeah. kids for the community around them so you're you're leaving them with resources for for impact is is what it sounds like yeah i mean I, i'm not really interested in leaving my kids cash like that i mean what 
uh, loads of cash do almost no one any good ever. Like that's, um, and when I think of wealth, I'm thinking of, um, you know, leaving them businesses mm. that they can, not so that they can liquidate and, uh, you know, burn through daddy's cash, you right. know, but all of this requires massive amounts of discipleship. All of this mm-hmm. requires me, you know, not only putting in the work to leave these things to them, but teaching them how to use it, teaching them the purpose of wealth, teaching them, you know, get, get helping them grasp that vision of what is wealth for. Right. And so it, it's not just one piece. It's like, I don't want to just amass wealth so I can leave cash to my kids. That's not mm-hmm. the point. I would much rather leave businesses and influence to my children. I would much yeah. rather get the, have them the ability where they're not the slave to the lender and they're not in fear of losing their income because um, they won't say men can be women would be a modern, you know, example or things of that right. nature. You know, that's, that's what I, that's what I want to leave my children. Right. All right. Sorry for the interruption. Just a quick reminder that when your friends mention that they might be thinking about buying a house or refinancing, you can do them and us a huge favor by mentioning that you know a great lender and sending them to clevelandstreet.com. It will be a huge help to us at CSM, and hopefully it will save your friends lots of time and stress looking for a lender they can trust. Yeah, so so one thing we talked about ahead of time was the, the challenges that uh, your kids will face in the, in the current environment that we're in. Uh, to be able to have influence like that, to be able to use the resources, um, and just practical challenges of, you know, high taxes of, like you talked about, of being able to work in a job where um, they want to be able to be consistently Christian and not lose their job. Um, so practically, what are some ways, what are some things you're thinking through of of how to equip them to maximize the resources available to them? Yeah. So we live in a man, we live in a we live in a wild time as far as that goes, because you think back into the past. You know, you go back a thousand years and or even way less than that, a couple hundred years, and you have family farms that have been in the family for, you know, centuries, literally. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, because once the family got that farm paid off that was the families and they worked the farm and it was a, mm-hmm. you, you know, it was a multi-generational thing. And it was, you know, literally um, it, it just, it, it, it went back. My kids have this little book that, that basically shows this. It's like this, this man builds this small cabin on this land and he's working on paying it off. And then his son adds on to it and finishes paying off the farm. And it shows the growth of this over like mm-hmm. five generations. Yeah. It's a fantastic little kids book. But the problem in our day is that we have because of um, and I'm not anti-capitalist, but the 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 bad parts of capitalism and the coupled with the the corporation ism in America and the tax system and the 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 uh, man, the fraudulent, tyrannical government that we're under. uh I mean, we we started a war over a two percent tax hmm. at the beginning of this country. Hmm. It's like two point five percent tax on one item. Yeah, and we started a war over it. 
Like, and then there's more to it than that. It's it's not sure. a I'm I'm far, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying sure. it, but there, there's a lot to that. I get all that, but the reality is, is that you know right now the average American pays thirty to fifty percent of income to taxes, on average, thirty to fifty percent. Boom to the government. Yeah. And so that means that um, like like four months, at least four months, four or five months out of the year, I'm working for uncle Sam. Hmm. Three yeah. to five yeah. months out of the year. Yeah. I am working my tail off for uncle Sam for Ukraine or for whatever nonsense they want to send money to. Yeah. And you know, so the, so the state government somewhere can build turtle tunnels and I'm working my tail off for that nonsense. And yeah. Yeah. You know, and so we, we, we we're starting off with a disadvantage in that regard, you know. So if you look back and forgive me, I don't have these stats in front of me. You know, y'all, you can look them up fairly easily. But, you know, if you go back 100 years and look at the median income uh, of a middle class family, working class family and what it costs to buy a house. And you look at it today, there's this gross disparity, disparity, I can't talk, but it's, um, uh, it's late over there. I get it. Yes, it is. <laughs> You're over in, over in the, uh, West coast. Yeah. The, um, the, uh, it, it's this, this huge, um, difference in, um, in, in the ability to do that. And so hmm. you would have to make, um, like, 60% more income on average and homes would have to be 40% less um, than they are currently. And the, and the interest rate would have to drop significantly to level that playing field yeah. to what it was for our grandparents. Sure. And, you know, so my great grandfather, you know, was buying land and paying it off, digging ditches, 75 cents a day, literally. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, buying land. Insane. Yeah. Who, who's who's, who's buying land doing digging ditches? You know, people that dig ditches can't buy land. They can't buy right. property. People that we need for a living are not buying land and property. And so we, we, we do live in a, in a time where the, where the deck is stacked against us. And I've talked to so many young men that, that they just feel like they can never get out of it There's, mm -hmm. because they, they just they don't know how they ever can. Um, mm -hmm. So. So it seems uh, like it could be fairly easy to turn that into an excuse, turn that into a, I'm stuck, you know. Yes. What, yes. It's what, easy to get black pilled, man. It yeah. is easy in our day to get black pilled, MGTOW and all that garbage. And, and so but it's easy. You see how it happens. And so. It, 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 and thank you, because I, I'd forgotten where we were, where we were headed from there. But we need to be thinking, as far as our grandchildren, how do we turn this thing around, mm. or, or start yeah. working towards Set turning this thing around? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that mm. I'm not, you know, my grandchildren don't have to worry about exorbitant uh, inheritance taxes, you know, so that the the just absolute wickedness of property tax goes away, you know, and, and I don't have the answers for all of that, but we sure. need to be thinking 
we need to be thinking locally. We need to be thinking about affecting local laws and in state laws really is about as big as you can get in, on, on the federal level. 350 million people, dude, you cannot affect that. You just, you can't, not in the, not in, in not in your lifetime. You know, um, all of the, all of the anti-federalists in the early uh, founding, Patrick Henry, these guys, they argued that the, the country was far too big for it to be one centralized government. Mm-hmm. And there was only 350, there was only, excuse me, there was only 3 million people here. 3 million. Now we're at 350 yeah. million. You know, Kentucky's yeah. bigger than it was back the whole United States back then. And so right. this idea that we can affect things on a large scale, we need to be thinking locally. We need to be thinking about how do I affect, you know, local uh, ordinances and and city and county and state codes. And, um, you know, how do I how do I do these things? Uh, right. You know. So, yeah, and it seems like it, it seems like. Um, you know, obviously you have some capacity regardless to, to have some of that impact. Um, but the more that you can start by giving your, your, your kids, your family, a foundation so that, you know, financially they don't, the, the thing that they're worrying about 24 seven, isn't just how do I make ends meet? How do I provide for my family? You know, they have some freedom to then focus on impact in the community as well. Um, yes. But it seems like you can set them up for that impact even more so by giving them a, a solid foundation to work from. Yes. Well, and I'm I'm 32. I've got six kids, nine and under, and I'm running a small business and I'm working my tail off. I'm a I'm a bivocational pastor. You know, you've got all these things that I'm that I'm working on trying to do. But in my mind. As I get older, I want to be involved in local politics and I probably won't be till I'm mm-hmm. older. But I mm-hmm. want to do that so that my children that are raised in Shelbyville, Kentucky, my grandchildren that are born in Shelbyville, Kentucky, so that there can be change at that point. And then to your point, right. so that I want my children to have far more influence than I have, mm-hmm. uh, because I am it is my goal. And by the grace of God, it will be the case that my children, you know, these things are ingrained in them so that those with influence are those that are thinking rightly about the glory of God in Shelbyville, mm. Kentucky. Yeah. And so you see what has happened in Moscow, Idaho, for example, with, uh, um, you know, Doug Wilson and those guys, right. you know, his dad planted that church right long time ago, Jim Wilson planted that church. And now Jim Wilson's gone to be with the Lord. And, and even Doug is getting, you know, he'll be 70, I think, this next year and getting on mm-hmm. up there. And and he's not going to see even some of the, the fruits of these things. This this goes back to the fact that we have to be thinking multigenerationally. We have to be thinking what effect can the Cartwrights have on Shelbyville, Kentucky in 100 years? So in 100 years from now, what is it? What does this look like? You know, uh, or yeah. even even 50 years. Such, such a that, boring thought. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is, but we need to be thinking that way right. because, you know, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, you know, it, it started out as a, you know, I mean, it, they were, everyone there was Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Squire Boone preached the first sermon in Louisville, Kentucky, and, um, you know, Baptist minister and just uh, unbelievable, one, one of my heroes. But you see what the, 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 debauchery and the wickedness that Louisville has become, you know, 4,000 babies a year were murdered. I mean, praise God, the abortion mill is shut down now, but 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the, the the case, just absolute debauchery coming out of Louisville, mm-hmm. Kentucky. So how do I attempt by God's grace to build wealth and grow influence and give these things to my children and grain this vision into my children so that 50 years from now, Shelbyville, as it has grown and expanded, is not Louisville. That right. Shelbyville is a city that that glorifies Christ. That Shelbyville is a city that literally says we are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. Yeah. Um, I want a city that honors Christ because I want my great grandchildren to be raised in a city where babies aren't murdered and drag queens are illegal. And, you know, all these things are, are off the table because, mm-hmm. no, we honor Christ here. Right. And so. You know, I, I just I have very little interest in dying a rich man, but I have a lot of interest in leaving tools and wealth and yes. influence to yes. my children. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that is, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to start to wrap up here a little bit, but I think that's just a, a really valuable takeaway is it's not about, you know, yes, there there are those explicit verses of leaving your children an inheritance uh, and the value of that. Um, But it's not just this so that they can, you know, spend it, eat through it, go on crazy vacations, not have to work. Um, It's leaving them resources, leaving them tools for influence to make an impact. Um, And so part of that inheritance involves training them, discipling them like you're talking about. Um, But part of it also involves the resources um, to enable them to have that impact. Tanner, um, yeah. super helpful. I'm going to leave you with, with just kind of a final question to wrap up here. Um, okay. you know, as we're, as we're finishing up, what's, if people take away one thing from this conversation, um, what would you leave people with? So a, a lot of times people, people tend to think, you know, we have our theological divides and a big one right now is eschatology and everyone, you know, post mill, that post mill and on mill and pre mill and all this, that, and the other. And I think that those things can have an effect, but I really think that regardless of what our eschatology is, regardless of what our theology, Baptist, Presbyterian, Anglican, whatever it is, we need to be people who are concerned with the glory of God and the God's will being done on this earth as it's done in heaven. And how can we promote that? And how can we um, put our children in a position where they can have influence um, and to see those things done, to see justice done? Um, And so we all need to be thinking way bigger and way further we need to be more forward thinking as 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 we pointed out earlier that word to provide for is to literally to think ahead we need to be thinking ahead for future generations how is christ most glorified and if you know we we should all be ready for christ to return tonight but we should be planning for him to return in five thousand years Hmm. and we should be thinking yeah what if it's another 5,000 years? What should I be doing now that's going to echo into church history, that's going to echo forward and can have lasting results in mm. church history? What am mm. I building yeah. that will last? And, and, and that, that is 
family and uh, what I'm teaching, you know, the legacy that I'm leaving is a, as far as the name Cartwright, the legacy that, that I'm leaving in my community, the legacy I'm leaving in my church, you know, those three areas right there. Um, I think that we minimize the um, amount of influence that a man and woman can have just by faithfully living uh, out their lives, being forward thinking to the glory of God. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tanner. Um, Really, really helpful perspective um, and really appreciate your time tonight. Dude, appreciate what you're doing, man. Excited about it. That's great. Thanks for listening to Work is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else, leave a review, and listen next week.